Welcome into the Off the Post podcast. I'm Nick Devalion with my co-host Lucas Tashi. Today we are recording live in person for the first time since we started this podcast. We're going to be going over the Serie A, La Liga, and the Premier League standings along with bringing you some transfer news and just general news from around the footballing world. We hope you guys enjoy the show. Lucas, so this is our first in-person podcast since we started which is crazy because we started you know during the pandemic but here we are even though we've hung out together separately (laughs) you know and we only live 20 minutes away from each other we're actually recording for the first time in person right now live 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 and i love it because i mean now we can see each other face to face it's good i know i like this um i mean with that though dude so much has been happening over the last week I so I don't know where you want to start. You want to start with the transfer news? Because yeah. there realistically is, besides the one transfer, everything else has been dead. Right. I agree with you 100%. I mean, the the biggest transfer movement has been Jao Felix going to Chelsea on loan. And uh, we'll talk about that briefly later. But, you know, another big name transfer is Mikhailo Mudrik. Uh, being close to signing with Arsenal, Arsenal bidding 70 million euros early, early this morning. And uh, I feel like this bid is actually going to probably get it over the line and he's going to be an Arsenal player. I'll be really shocked if the bid ends up getting rejected at this point because I don't see Arsenal wanting to bid again after this. Dude, if Shakhtar declined this offer, they are ridiculous. Like, dude, it's 70 million, but that doesn't include... 20 million in add-ons that could potentially be given that they're looking at a 90 million euro fee which is absolutely bonkers for a player like uh for a player like this to be honest and i you can say the same about anthony being worth 100 million but what i've seen is that teams are now paying the fee that they think this player is going to be worth rather than paying the fee of what he's worth now, if that makes sense. I agree. So that's what United did with Anthony, and it looks like it's starting to pay off slowly. Uh, But you have to take a look into, it's kind of like a gamble that you're taking. Like when you're working in the stock market, how does this stock think, how do you think this stock is going to be in the future? So what Arsenal are doing is they're paying more for the stock right now, the player, but they're thinking that this is going to be worth more. Or he's going to be worth exactly that in the future. Right. right. And I agree with you. And yeah, they're going to make some money back on his wages, right? Because he wasn't making a lot with Shakhtar anyway. But it's not enough to kind of uh, essentially save money on the transfer fee. In my opinion, he's basically like a 40 million uh, euro kind of player with his age and his ability as of right now. Paying the actual you know, extra 30 million euros while also doing additions on top kind of makes me feel like Arteta thinks that he can uh, help this player fulfill his potential. I mean, he's really good at developing players, especially younger players. Mm-hmm. So it'll be really interesting. I think this signing, though, gives Arsenal a lot of depth if it goes through because he can play on the left side. He can play on the right side. He's really good with both feet. He's really fast, so he can spell in for Saka or Martinelli whenever – they have to rotate the players. Having three really good wingers at the same time, and that's not even counting Emil Smith Rowe, who can also play at the position. Yeah. You know, it, it does a lot for Arsenal's depth. I think what they're lacking still, though, is something in the the middle of the, the pitch, are. right? Where uh, someone like Telemans or another defensive midfielder could benefit them. 
But I understand why they would make this signing, especially going into the second half of the season, which is going to be way more congested than the, than the first half. And with Arsenal's title push right now, like it, they really need the depth. And if somebody gets hurt, Mudrik is going to just step right in, in my opinion. Um, and even in the Premier League, we haven't seen ESR start to play yet. He's been getting a few minutes here and there just because that front four has been fantastic for them. And I, and I think we can segue into the Premier League right now uh, because as we're looking at it, we're nearing halfway through the season, right? There's 36 total games in the Premier League. Nearly all of the teams have either 18 or 17 games. Uh, so we're pretty much at the halfway mark. Nick, where do you think we're going to set out in the end of the season? Right now, Arsenal are five points ahead of Man City. Same uh, games played. They are nine points ahead of both Newcastle and Man United. Same games played as United, but one game less than Newcastle. Where do you think we're going? Uh, I see I see Man City uh, continuing to push Arsenal, and I think Arsenal's going to have a really good second half of the campaign as well. Uh, I don't feel like there's any question that Arsenal are going to qualify for the Champions League at this point because of how far they are ahead of Tottenham 1 and 2. The, the squad is just overall better than almost any other squad, uh, in my opinion, aside from Manchester City's as of right now. Yeah. I also see Liverpool making a really, really strong push to push the second half of the season. They started to do so recently up until the point where they lost their most recent game, right? But before that, they were on a tear winning, you know, at a minimum four in a row off the top of my head. Manchester United have really picked it up as well, right, with Rashford playing well. So... I could see the top five being just some combination of Arsenal, Man City, Newcastle, Man United, and Liverpool. I, I agree with the, that statement. Those are going to be the top five. I think Tottenham is going to uh, bounce out, in my opinion, just because of the form that they're in. Uh, Conte has really not done uh, too well in terms of uh, getting his players to play the way that they should be. Uh, they have the talent. They're just not doing it. You know what I mean? So uh, I agree that those are the top five teams. What's really going to be interesting is these next two to three match days. Because these next two to three match days, there is a lot of really, really important fixtures. You have Man United versus Man City. You have Arsenal versus Man City. And then you have Arsenal versus Spurs in these next two to three match and, days. And Arsenal against Manchester United as well, right? So What they, is that going to be? So they play Manchester United on the 22nd, uh, and then they play Man City in the FA Cup on the 27th. So, wow. really, so really three, three tough games yeah. for, for Arsenal coming up. Even though it's Man City in the FA Cup, it doesn't count towards the Premier League. It still counts yes. because it's, it's considered a big game. And then they play... You know, Everton on the back. So regardless of the result for Man City Arsenal, if Arsenal are to win, they have to be careful that they don't drop points against Everton afterwards. And then they end up playing Man City again on, on the, the 15th, 15th right? Yeah. So so really, really tough, uh, tough run coming up for Arsenal. That's going to kind of dictate their Premier League campaign, which is what I said, uh, I believe, in the last podcast, and you also agreed to. Yeah. How they perform these next five to six games is really going to dictate whether they're going to actually win the Premier League title or not, in my 100%, opinion. 100%. Because if, if United go into these next two games, and or next two to three games, and they beat City and beat Arsenal, that's a six-point swing right there. They're gaining three points on Man City where they're already four points back, right? Right. And then they're gaining three points on Arsenal 
where Arsenal are all nine points ahead. But then again, Arsenal still have to face Man City not once, but twice in the Premier League still. Right. So it's still all up for grabs in the Premier League just because, I mean, there's the World Cup really put a, a dagger in how the schedule matches up. Because right now we're in the middle of January, right? Typically, we would have had every single team face every single team, but we haven't had that yet. As you can see, Arsenal and City still need to play twice. And a lot of these teams still have 17 games. So United have to play Crystal Palace in their uh, leftover game. Um, but yeah, this is going to be a very, very tight battle with this next month up until February 15th being a really important deciding factor. I just also want to add to that uh, as well. Do you know who's probably going to benefit the most in this run for the next four or five games? In my opinion, it's going to be Newcastle. Newcastle, yes, exactly. Because their fixture list is way easier compared to Manchester United's, Man City's, and Arsenal's. They have Fulham coming up. They then play Crystal Palace. I mean, Fulham and Crystal Palace have been having good seasons as well. But it's not the level of difficulty as the other three teams in the top four are facing. Then they play Southampton back-to-back in the League Cup, which they will take seriously because it's going to be an opportunity for them to win the trophy, just yep. like it will be for Manchester United. And United too, yeah. Especially against Nottingham Forest. It's an opportunity for both of these teams to win a trophy if they're able to go through over the course of the two legs. Then they play West Ham, Bournemouth, and then finally Liverpool. So we're talking about four games where they can close the gap between Man City and Arsenal and end up moving up into the uh, upper echelon where they can secure a Champions League this season, which is possible for them, even though their depth isn't as good. They have no European competitions to worry about. you know. So really, their domestic leagues are their, their only chance. And yeah. the EFL League Cup, right, it ends – in the next month. So if you're looking at that, you know, they're really going to have two competitions left in the FA Cup and the Premier League for the remaining four months, which is super beneficial for them. 100%. But I think having a tougher fixture list list right now is going to benefit Arsenal, City, and United because they can go into those latter half of the year, getting to March, April, May, where you really need to grind out wins, and they'll be able to... Uh, make sure that the team is in the right mindset. Get that good form. If they're playing, let's say, uh, I don't want to disrespect any team, but let's say they're playing like uh, Leeds in February or March, and then there's a Champions League game during the middle of the week or Europa League game during the middle of the week, they'll be able to rotate quite evenly. Uh, Whereas if they had these tougher games, Whereas Arsenal and United, they do have a game later on in the season. That's going to be a lot more difficult to be able to rotate. You know what I mean? So uh, having these games in the next month is is good for these teams, but also it's bad. But because there's going to be a huge, huge, huge test. Spurs face City twice in the next three weeks. Uh, Arsenal uh, face City twice, like you mentioned, one in the FA Cup, once in the league. I mean, City's got a tough fixture, and it all starts right. tomorrow morning. We're recording this on Friday, but it starts tomorrow morning, 7.30 a.m. If City come out flat like they did against uh, Southampton, bro, uh, Man United can go in there home against City and get some revenge on that earlier fixture that they had this year where they lost 6-3. Right. I agree with you. There's an opportunity there for Manchester United to, to really put their stamp on this game. 
I want to go a little bit into Chelsea because we both agree that Chelsea will likely finish around, uh, you know, the lower top half of the table, anywhere from 10th to, to 8th or 7th even. Uh, Jao Felix, you know, he gets signed on loan. And uh, I want to throw a couple of numbers at you and just get your opinion on it. So most expensive loan fees per month in, you know, in just transfer market history, according to the website. Jao Felix is number one with a 1.9 million euro loan fee per month. Higuain <laughs> is second. Mari is is third, shockingly enough, at 1.6 wow. per month, right? His total fee was 8 million euros, 1.6 per month. Really interesting. Higuain, again, Lo Celso, Benrama, Sain, Zaza, Fernando, and Murata. I think Zhao Felix being the most expensive on a month-by-month basis, even though it's a half-year uh, loan says a lot about him, but at the same time, you know, being sent off is horrible for Chelsea by far because it's not so much that he got sent off and they just signed him. It's that he had one practice with the team, was instantly <laughs> their best player on the field, and now he's not going to be available for them for the next three games. Uh, based on Off the Joe on Twitter, he said, despite being sent off in the 58 minute, Jao Felix had the most shots. With six shots on targets with four successful take-ons and had won the most fouls of any player on either side of Chelsea's 2-1 defeat to Fulham tonight. (laughs) And I mean, unbelievable for them. Looks like a great signing if he's to play, but I I mean, that tackle was worthy of a red card. 100%. And uh, honestly, I feel no feel no love for Chelsea. Oh, uh, definitely not. But you have to say, I watched that game, and from the first minute on, Jao Felix had a had a nutmeg on the defender, and literally had a opportunity, big chance created right away. Like it really is crazy how much better he was than every single other player. You can see it on the on the runs that he was making that there was a breakaway or there was a counter where uh, Kai Havertz had the ball and Joao was making a sublime run behind the defender where if Kai opened up his head just ever so slightly, he would have found him and Joao would have been in on goal. But like the rest of the team, they just don't have that, I don't know, that sixth sense. They don't have the ability to be able to like, make that right pass, which is crazy. And we were talking about this earlier in the season about Graham Potter. I feel bad for him, man. You know what I mean? Like, Yeah, I do too. I, I don't think he should get sacked for this because it's re- it was really clear there was issues with the squad itself. They are definitely making it up by making the signings that are appropriate for targeting younger players. And I think next season they will be way, way, way more drastically improved compared to this season. But there's just so much dead wood with this team. Yeah. There's so many old players. You know, you hired Graham Potter to, to be able to kind of lead the younger generation and to develop the team that he wants. And you should give him the time that he needs to be able to do so. I think that it's going to be hard for them. But I, I know that Chelsea fans do want to stick with them and just understand that this season is not going to be their season. And that, you know, my Chelsea finishing outside of the top four bet is going to cash. And it's okay. <laughs> totally understand. It is what it is at this point. And I think that it it's going to benefit them in the long term if they just stick with him instead of looking at someone like Simeone yeah. or uh, any other manager. You know, he's really – he was the best manager that they could have gotten at the time that they did. And we both thought it was a good move 
even though we disagree with them firing Tuchel, because we understood that if they can stick with him for the long term, it'll be really beneficial for them. No, 100%. So this actually gives me uh, Arteta to Arsenal vibes a few years ago when they signed him mid uh, mid-season. And it takes time for a manager to get his uh, footprint in the club, you know? Like, it, not all managers are going to be like Eric Ten Hag and boom, like, become a beast for that club. But with Grand Potter, all these signings were not his. If you remember, they spent $200 million in the summer, but they were not Grand Potter signings. Like, they brought in Koulibaly, who, yes, he's been good, but it's not a Grand Potter signing. They brought in Raheem Sterling, who has just been abysmal for them. Like, he has yeah. not been good whatsoever. Just, I've never been a fan of him, despite his success. I know, he's a, good, I know he's a good player, but he's just wildly inconsistent for me. And uh, and there has to there has to be a lot of things going right for him to do well. Yes. And because the midfield is struggling, that's why he's also struggling. Yeah. If the midfield was way more creative and influential, then it would make a lot of difference for him. But because it's not, he's not able to do as well as we would expect. Now that may change next year, right? When they have Nkunku and they sign a lot of the other players that come into the squad to to be able to provide them with the skill and creativity that they need. But right now, he's not going to do it for them yeah. if the squad remains the same. No, I, he really needs one full transfer window, one in January, and then one, or let's say two full transfer windows. So he has the January one currently, right? He Where they signed in Cuckoo, they have signed a couple center backs, they're trying to sign Enzo Fernandez, and then he also needs the summer to really put his footprint in the, in the team. Um, but again... I don't know. It seems like the players aren't playing for him. He has the he's so tactically sound, but these players just aren't like performing as they should be. I I don't know what it is. It seems like there there's no heart in the team, whereas I can see a player like Thiago Silva, who's putting everything out on the line for them. But then you see a player like Kai Havertz and Mason Mount, who are just jogging. You can see Keppa who yesterday was 100% at fault for that second Fulham goal. Right. Because he came out, and he just let the ball go right over his head, and it was an easy header. Right. But at the same time, Kepa has definitely improved this season. Yeah. I think I think we both agree with Havertz and Mount not being it. They're, they're, I mean, Mount especially is just wildly overrated, right? He pr- produces goals uh, in the right moment outside of the box. But there's nothing else that he really contributes that I could see that's that outstanding for him. He's a good squad player. He shouldn't be starting, though, for Chelsea, in my opinion. Uh, there's a lot of problems there. There is a lot of problems. And I think Todd Bowley is way too uh, big. For, the shoes are way too big for him, in my opinion. He Yes, he's able to own a, a baseball MLB club, uh, LA Dodgers. But owning Chelsea versus owning... The LA Dodgers, two completely different things. He knows baseball probably. Right. He probably doesn't know like soccer as as well as other owners would. Yeah, I think I think though that this move, I mean, he's he's going to be a good owner for them definitely because he backs them. No question about that. I think in the long run though they will be better off as long as they stick to their plan and they keep Potter as manager, mm-hmm. they will be better off because I do like the young signings that they've made. Um, despite what Kirsten's fans may have of other clubs worth 
how they jump on, yeah. uh, you know, different transfer targets and stuff. I like their signings. Uh, I have no question they're going to be way better next year compared to this year. And with that being said, I think this is a good way to segue into La Liga. Let's do it. Would. Let's do it. So Barcelona are top of the table having won and Real Madrid having lost to uh, Villarreal, I believe. They will end up playing each other in the Supercopa de España, which is coming up real quick here. And in Saudi Arabia. In Saudi Arabia. Sports washing. Yes. And it's gonna be it's gonna be really interesting to see what ends up happening uh, with these two teams for the rest of the season. I picked Real Madrid to win, uh, well, knowing well that Barcelona's main focus is going to be La Liga. Yeah, they. I mean, Barcelona, in all honesty, have been the better team all season. I just I just have to pick my boys because I'm clearly biased. Um, I don't know, man. I think I think this race is still wide open. It's gonna be really interesting to see how it plays out for the rest of the season. And I'm very, very curious to see more so who's going to get the remaining Champions League spots instead of, you know, who's going to win the league. Because it's going to be either of those two. Yeah. There's no real surprise there. No, for sure. But for Champions League, you have, you know, you have essentially six points separating five teams for two spots. Yeah. You know, Bilbao's on seventh with 26. Then you have Villarreal and Atletico at 27. Betis at 28, and then Real Sociedad on a little mini tear right now with 32 points. Uh, you can also throw in Osasuna in there, too, with right. 24 points. Right. And, I mean, Sevilla has just gone out of the relegation zone, uh, and I expect for them to pick up the second half of the season, but they're going to be out of it. There's no way. They're, yeah. It'll, no. Be, it'll be super hard for them to make it uh, being, you know, 12 points back. I think the crazy thing, though, is Elche, man. I mean, four points from 16 games. Like, unbelievable, unbelievable to watch. I will bet against Elche every time now for the rest of the season. I don't. It doesn't matter what they do. They yeah, have what, what if the odds? What if the odds are just so so bad? I'll just I'll just take a double chance against Elche for drawing the opposition team to win, guaranteed profit every single time. <laughs> yeah. These 16 games, right? Like. Zero wins, four draws, 12 losses, minus 24 goal differential already. Dude, that's actually crazy. It's impressive how bad they are. Yeah, it really is impressive. But, all right, let, let's take a look at Edge's uh, odds. They're, they're goal Bro! Okay, yeah, low. Right now, it's Cadiz. Uh, it is Cadiz. But Cadiz is minus 110 against Elche. I bet them. <laughs> I mean, what, am I, what are we doing here? I don't right? think... If they lose, it doesn't matter. It's the right play every single time. So, um, you give me that line, I will take Minus it. Minus 110. Yeah, I'll take it every single time. <laughs> Watch, this is the one week that uh, actually wins a game. If they do, it's okay. Yeah. I'll tip my hat. Yeah, you know? because you did the right thing. You made the right play. It is what it is. Yeah, I think I think the thing is, you know, and I've learned this while betting, it's like you have to play the numbers, you can't play the teams. So yeah. just the value there just makes too much sense to uh, to want to do anything else other than that. So that's that's how I feel at least. And God this is also coming off a of victory too. Right. Exactly. And they're home. Exactly. I mean I have a five dollar free bet, so like I'm th- we- I'm throwing it on there. Right. Right, exactly. Do you have anything that you want to talk about with La Liga specifically? I mean, I, I didn't really get to mention the, the title race, but that title race, it's going to come down to the last match day. 100% going to come down to the last match day. And I can totally see Real Madrid beating uh, Barcelona in the uh, both the Supercopa and also the uh, in the league. 
But with that, Barcelona's goal differential is just way too good right now compared to Real Madrid's. Unless Real Madrid goes on a run of just win after win after win, I'm not sure if I can see them making a comeback in the goal differential. You know, but uh, it's going to be very tight. Right now, I'm leaning Real Madrid to win the league. It's three points that can be easily made up. Barcelona, they haven't been in the best form, but they have very, very light fixtures at the moment. It's when it gets to the uh, end of the season that they have a lot more difficult fixtures. So they have to face Betis in April, uh, Atleti in April. They have uh, Real Madrid in March, Atleti Club in, in March. Like It's towards the end of the season where if they make a run in the Europa League, I'm not sure if they're going to be able to rotate as much as they would like. Whereas uh, Real Madrid, they have the depth to be able to do it. I agree with you. If Barcelona only has the La Liga to play, then they're going to win it. Yes. But if they have other competitions to worry about, their squad depth isn't capable as of right now of handling that. Because, yeah, they have good attackers and their defense initially is really good, but they can't handle an injury, and they've proven that in Europe. Yeah. Now, the, the quality of the lower half of the table in La Liga is way weaker than, you know, in the Premier League and even in the Bundesliga and the Serie A. So when you think about it that way, they can obviously continue to, to win games in La Liga just as Real Madrid can and the other clubs can. But it's, it's going to regress at some point and they are going to drop points somewhere because statistically speaking you know even real madrid you know 16 games 38 points that's normally top of the table any other season it's the same thing for barcelona as well so it's going to be really really interesting to see how they continue to play um but i think it's it's got the potential to be a really really good title race when we're looking at 100 percent and also one thing you have to throw in there is the fact that Barcelona has a lot of injured players right now. Right. Uh, a lot of their uh, tops, like their starters, like Kunde, are hurt, and they typically would be starters for them. So uh, if they can get those guys healthy and running, uh, they have a real serious push to make it. I just think, in my opinion, right now, uh, Real Madrid are a better team and are also better coached. Uh, but again, in the future, we don't know how Xavi's going to be. There's been like patchy moments for Barcelona, but I think uh, Real Madrid long term are have a more sustainable foundation than uh, Barcelona. And we have transfer news with Wolves set to sign Pablo Sarabia on a permanent deal from PSG. I am very whelmed. And uh, wow. Only 5 million euros, too, Yeah, I think which is crazy. Really good signing by Wolves. I think he gives them creativity. Uh, really underrated player by Wolves' standard. So really interesting to see how they play. I mean, they need that. Because right do. now, we didn't really talk about the relegation battle in the Premier League, but Wolves are sitting on 19 right now. Uh, one point out of uh, relegation safety, and their goal differential has just been abysmal. But again, this Wolves side is good. And they have a lot of talent that they should be able to be in the in the 10 to 12 range. But they're just getting losses after losses after losses. And it's just not it's not sustainable for them. But this signing can really make a difference for them. 
Yeah, I agree with you 100%. Is there uh, any other topic you want to talk about regarding La Liga before we go on to the Serie A? I'm nah, man. I think we're good. All right, cool. So top of the table, Napoli. Juventus coming out of nowhere. Uh, you know, they were like near the bottom of the table and mid-table for like the first eight to nine games. And they've come all the way up to second. Uh with 37 tied with Milan on 37 as well, followed by Inter and Lazio and Alalanta with Roma also tied at 31. So, I mean, if you're looking at this, six points separates seventh through second. Uh, really, really tight. But as of right now, Napoli has some really, really good cushion. Yeah. They lost, I mean, losing to, to Inter, that was their first loss yeah. of the Serie A season, which has been unreal. Uh, run for them and they play Juventus today actually 245 right and so Paramount plus the results of this game will be really really critical to determining what ends up happening here uh in Serie A can Juventus close the gap or are Napoli going to build on it and then move 10 points ahead of Juventus which may still end up being seven points ahead of Milan if Milan win but Super, super interesting stuff here, Lucas. This is definitely the game of the weekend. 100%. 100% the game of the weekend. Uh, it's fantastic that we're getting it on a Friday, uh, Friday afternoon watch. But, dude, if they open that gap to Juve to 10 points, I'm not sure if Milan has what it takes to be able to uh, cover a seven-point swing because they would need so much to happen from Napoli. They would need Napoli to drop points where in the league right now, they are not dropping points. They lost 1-0 to Inter Milan, but again, that was away. So that's a tough fixture to play, and you can't blame them for that loss. But other than that, they've just been unstoppable. And with Big O being healthy, because this season, I feel like it's the first season in a long time that Osamed has been healthy for them. And he's been phenomenal for them. Uh, Napoli have just been in unbelievable form. Their transfer window in the summer has been outstanding. I would say it's probably the transfer window, uh, the team of the transfer window. I agree. If you get, if you get what I'm saying. So I, I think they have done fantastic business, especially after selling Koulibaly, which is unreal. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, and they replaced him with uh, Kim and Jay, yeah. who's been really good and also has a release clause that will likely be activated in the summer because he's been amazing for them. So, I mean, Napoli, I think, is going to win as of right now. I uh, I picked, I didn't pick them to win uh, at the start of the season, right? I believe I picked Milan. But I just think that with Napoli, they have exceeded my expectations and after seeing them the first 10 games of the season in my mind i thought that it's going to be them i think it's if they were to win their first title in like 40 years it would be amazing uh amazing story and they would definitely deserve it and they also have some really really sick jerseys too to add they do they do have some very very sick jerseys but i i think the main thing here is the top four battle nick do you think this is gonna stay as is because in my opinion i think it's gonna stay as is I think all three other teams in the top four are going to be quality and they'll be able to maintain the level that they're at. So I don't think Lazio, Atalanta, or Roma are able to step in to that top four. Right. But let me know what you think. 
No, I mean, it's tough to say. I feel like Inter Milan and Juventus and Napoli are the most proven of the seven teams that we're talking about. Atalanta can catch fire at any time and go on a run, which is why I would probably pick them to be the ones that would get in if not for those four. Because Lazio, I mean, first of all, Roma is very well managed, really consistent. Uh, Mourinho's obviously a great manager. But I I just think that for them, they need more players to be able to challenge really for the top four and then also the league. With Lazio, I mean, they're so wildly inconsistent sometimes. When you expect them to win, they draw. You know, I lost money on them because I bet them to 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 win against a team that they beat in for five consecutive times, and they end up giving up two goals in the last eight minutes, <laughs> essentially. And this isn't the first time that this has happened, where Lazio have given up a couple of goal lead or a goal lead and mm-hmm. defeated late. You know, I've experienced this time and time again. <laughs> yeah. Betting on them, I'm a victim here. So I, I just think that for them, uh, it's the top four is going to stay the same as yeah. well. I just have to agree with you here because they're they're just the most proven. All of them except for Napoli have won the title in the past. Yeah. You know, however many years. So uh, really, really interesting to to see how this unfolds. Yeah, and then looking at the relegation battle. I wouldn't even say this is a relegation battle. This is pretty much just confirmation. I guess. Confirmation, yeah. But it, I, I want to call out Spezia because they have an American owner, and it, it's good to see that the American owner has put so much heart into this team. You can see it on social media how much he puts into it. And really, uh, they're in 17th right now, but they have a six-point cushion to that relegation battle. So second year in a row that they've stayed up and also – their jerseys are fire. Yeah, for sure. Uh, anything else you want to talk about with the Serie A specifically? Nah, dude. I, I think we covered it all. All right. So I have a couple of things I wanted to ask you about. And uh, most of them are particularly Manchester United. So I want to talk about the sale. Uh, and I want you to get your thoughts on who you would want to be the owners of Manchester United. And two, obviously Ten Hag has done a good job this season. Uh, do you anticipate making any more signings in the January transfer window other than what Weghorst? No. To the second part, we're not going to sign anybody else. We don't have the money. We're actually financially broke pretty much in the, in this aspect uh, because we legit have no money. We've been paying our owners back millions and millions over the years, um, which has caused us to be in debt, especially because we're making repairs to the uh, stadium at the moment. But that's the answer to the second question. We're not going to make any more signings, which we likely should. But I don't know. I I trust Ten Hag to be able to get the young players in. And he has been able to get the young players in. You can see Alejandro Garnacho. You can see Facundo Pelestri, who who have both been playing very, very well uh, and have been solidified as starters. Uh, As long as our, our strikers and attack can stay healthy, we have some good depth. It's finally reassuring to not be able to start Scott McTominay every single game and have Casemiro come in. Because McTominay, he's he's good for the FA Cups and Carabao Cups. But, like, I, I don't want him starting in the Premier League. Now, who do I want to buy them? I don't know. I just want somebody to be there to support the club in a way to improve the club, take them to the next level, put the financial uh, 
fi financial backing to be able to get the things that they need. Because in that Ronaldo interview, yes, he says some things that were just wonky and off, but he also said some factual things. The technology in the practice facilities are so out to date. Like they need to upgrade those. And the stadium, it's leaking. Like right. every single time, and it's Manchester, so it's raining all the time, the actual roof is leaking. So if the owner comes in, gives the financial backing for the team, for the manager, and also doesn't take money away from the club like the Glazers have been over the past 20 years, I am okay with that. I, I don't care who it really is. I would love it for uh, for it to be like a Manchester United fan, but at the moment, don't really care. No, I, I feel like that's a fair take. And I mean, I think we would we agree by uh, taking the money out, you essentially mean just the owners getting paid dividends, yes. on, right? And not reinvesting into the team because a lot of owners uh, provide, you know, money to the team in the payment of like no interest loans, right? Uh, I agree with you 100%. I think it's going to be really interesting to see who ends up buying them because it's going to cost a lot of money. And they're going to be expected to invest and clear out the team and to make repairs. So the amount of money that they're going to be putting into this team is going to be way more than yeah. just the purchase price. And so people have to anticipate that they're going to end up purchasing them. Uh, I think that, you know, it's going to be really interesting to see how the teams in any of the leagues that we cover end up changing or performing over the next 10 games. And then also over the last you know, 10 games of the season as well. So we're looking into a more intense phase coming up. What are you looking forward to the most the second half of the season? My club, dude, it feels good. And I feel more confident than ever that Manchester United are headed in the right direction. And I remember we had this podcast last year and it was December time when Oli was sacked and we were recording I think it was actually Thanksgiving Day. We were recording in the morning, and we got breaking news from Fab that uh, what's his name? Uh, I'm blanking on his name now. The interim manager uh, of Manchester United last season. Need your help here. Say that again, Lucas. Uh, uh, the the manager, the interim manager for Manchester United last year, where we were recording the podcast on the Thursday. Oh, Ralph Ragnick. Ralph Ragnick. We said that had changed the club around. And honestly, it had. It kind of did. It had, because that was the turning point. That was the point where we finally had made the right decision on something. Yes, he wasn't a great manager, but he guided the club, and he exposed the issues that were going on at the club. And with that, it brought us Eric Ten Hag. And yes, the first two games of the season did not go our way, took the losses. But ever since then, I have never seen a Manchester United team that has looked this confident, that has played this well, and that has this camaraderie since uh, Fergie, which is unbelievable. Yeah, I think that this team, uh, I mean, the, the manager as of right now, initially, it seems like was the right hire. The, the issue, I feel like, has changed more so with the Premier League teams recently where you know, a lot of the fans aren't looking at the managers themselves, but rather the squad of players, because there are a lot of really good managers in the Premier League. You know, Graham Potter with Chelsea being an example, like we talked about in this podcast. It's clear that Ten Hag knows how to set up a game plan, is tactically sound, 
and is a is a good manager that knows how to discipline the team at the right times. So I think that he's exactly what Manchester United have needed. But at the same time, you know, the squad changes have to be what come afterwards. And again, this season and this season, you exceeded your expectations because you were so depressed at the start of the season. Yeah. Right. With especially the losses at the beginning Mm -hmm. that you guys saw where you were like, oh, my God, are we ever going to like win a game? Seriously. And then once you won the first one, it kicked off and things changed. Yeah. So it's going to it's going to be crazy to see how uh, how, you know, the teams change over the course of time. I'm just looking forward to the Champions League coming back. Honestly, yeah, there's so many good lineups that are coming back. And I kind of got sick of. Uh, not really the World Cup matches, but just the break in between with no club football. It just felt weird to not have anything going on and to have us starting to get back into it. I'm just really excited to see how it ends up playing out and who ends up winning that trophy as well. Because there's a lot of good teams. There's there, so but... many good teams in the Champions League, man. So many good teams. And also the Europa League. Right. The Europa League, the quality of teams in the Europa League, uh, you can argue are better than the Champions League. Especially with Arsenal, and I got to give credit to the Arsenal board because two years ago, I did not expect them to be this uh, competent, but they're exceeding expectations by far. Arteta has done exactly what uh, we initially expected him to do. I always knew he would be a good manager, and he just needed the time because you can see he's coming from uh, the, the family tree of Pep Guardiola. He was Pep's assistant manager at uh, Man City, and then he's taken everything and he's put a little little twist into it. I watched the Arsenal documentary, uh, and has been it was a fantastic watch, by the way. Um, but really, I gotta say, with uh, both the Champions League and Europa League, it's going to be a very tight competition that it's going to be very difficult to predict. Uh, going into the Champions League. I think what's going to happen is, and this is going to be my prediction, Man City, they used to be built for the Premier League. But now, with Erling Haaland, they're built for the Champions League. So I think previously they they were built to be a more possession-based team where they can uh, outrun their opponents, where they weren't so one-dimensional. But now with Haaland, they're so one-dimensional because they need the goals and then in the Champions League, they're going to get those goals from early Holland. They're better in a two-match uh, format rather than a 36-match format uh, in the league. So I think if my hot take, not really a hot take, I think Arsenal are going to win the league, and I think Man City are going to win the Champions League. Yeah, I would believe it, honestly. I think I agree with you because they're more they're able to win in different ways, Man City mm-hmm. specifically, and that suits the Champions League way more. Yes. And I think that that's where their main focus is for this season. So it's going to be interesting to see how things play out as uh, as we move along. And I think with that being said, Lucas, I feel like we've covered everything we wanted to talk about today. Yeah, we did. 100%. This was a great live podcast, man. I know. I know. It's something that we'll hopefully we'll be able to do more often. Yeah. Uh, time goes by fast, way faster than we anticipated. It's already almost been two years since we started this podcast, which is crazy to think about how consistent we've been. Uh, but with that being said, you know, we hope you guys enjoyed our first in-person episode. And we look forward to catching up with you guys next week. Enjoy them, techers.